I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about my favorite co-parenting app, FAIR. There are other apps out there, but FAIR is the only one that I recommend to my clients. We know that divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be really tricky, especially when you're trying to communicate with your ex, and that's a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. It helps to eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. Here's what the FAIR app can do. It has a time-sharing calendar, documentable text messaging, an expense tracker, a GPS check-in, and by the way, no one else has that, a monthly parenting report, a private journal, a file vault, and importantly, you can export all of the records into a convenient and time and date stamped PDF when you need it for your attorney or for court. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So subscribe at BeFair.com, that's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com, and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. You can go to FAIR.com for more details and use the discount code SUSANG18 to receive 20% off. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I think that the prior generation, our parents, most of us have lived through their divorces. We've seen the high divorce rates. We've learned from it. We're, we're somewhat jaded. We don't want that for ourselves. Um, so we are waiting longer to get married. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today my guest and I are going to be exploring the rapidly changing world of coupling and uncoupling in the 2020s and beyond. So, you know, one thing I've talked about on other shows is statistics show that marriage is changing as well as divorce. And with the younger generations, most notably millennials, uh, they're a huge part of that change. They're, you know, differing lifestyles have impacted both the marriage rate and the divorce rate. So my guest today is a millennial herself, but she's also a leading family law attorney. So she's really uniquely positioned to give us a look into these changing dynamics. Um, so Yane Barroso, it's very exciting to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Susan, for having me. I'm really excited to be here talking about this topic. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, twist, and I think it signals sort of a seminal change as we go forward. That's why I think it's important to talk about it. Um, I do want everyone to have a little background on you because you really have a very impressive background, especially for a Thank young you. practitioner. It's one of the things that jumped out at me when we first got in touch. Um, you are, as I mentioned, a family law and matrimonial attorney, and you have 11 years of pra or over 
11 years of practice. You were with um, the AV-rated firm of Fogel, Rubin, and Fogel in Miami for several years. Um, that firm recently closed when your partners retired. And so I, I would imagine very excitingly for you, you've now established your own law firm in yes. Key West, um, Barroso Law. Yep. Yeah, and that was born, recently born and raised and um, happy to be back serving my community. And that's, you know, it's exciting to also just be a female entrepreneur, having your own firm. I did that myself, but uh, much further along in my career than you did. Um, so I applaud you on that because I know there's a lot that goes into opening your own firm. Definitely. Not yeah. easy, but the rewards are worth it for sure. Yeah, well, and it got you to, to be able to be back home and you do, you are married yourself and have, we, we were just talking about your two-year-old son and how yeah. interesting it's been to be quarantined with a two-year-old. Yes, yeah, so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> daycare is going to be something we're grateful for when we get back to the real it, world. Extremely grateful for daycare after this experience. <laughs> So, well, I'm very excited to talk about this topic. When you first approached me with it, I was like, this is something that we really should be talking about because I'm always talking about the changing face of divorce from the perspective of shifting from an adversarial negative experience mm -hmm. to the positive divorce movement. But what I haven't focused on and what I'm really happy we're going to look at today is the the actual fact that marriage and divorce are actually changing as the world changes as well, as generations live differently, have different experiences. Um, and that's always been true, right? You know, my parents divorced, well, my parents weren't divorced, but, you know, divorces of my parents' generation were very different than perhaps divorces of my generation. But divorces mm -hmm. for your generation are also very different. Yes, I've even noticed a change just since I've been practicing, um, which we're gonna, I know we're going to cover today. But I've noticed some significant changes about divorces from, you know, my first year in law school till now. Yeah, it's really well, I, I wanted to do some research on it. So I looked up a couple of statistics just to, you know, have some facts behind this because I suspected it was changed, but didn't know the actual numbers. So a couple of just interesting stats. Um, there's been a 24% decline in divorce rates since the 1980s. Um, most millennial couples are waiting longer to get married. I thought it was interesting. Many of them, the relationship between the couple is uh, almost five years um, long before they take the step of getting married, which is, I think, different. I, I had only been dating my first husband for about two years when we got married now almost 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and this one I thought was really telling. 25% of millennials are likely to never marry at all. Um, and there's something in that that we're going to unpack, I think. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a that's a telling statistic. Um but what, let's just start right at the baseline because I don't know that everybody has a clear conception. So let's get it from you. What is a millennial? So a millennial is somebody who's born between 1981 and 1996. And they have, I think, a unique set of characteristics. Um, they're tech savvy. And when I say there, I should say we, because I'm a millennial. <laughs> Uh, we're very family centric. We place, you know, family life above 
professional life, always searching for that perfect, you know, work-life balance. That's very important to millennials. Um, very achievement and goal oriented, especially with education and career, always seeking instant gratification. I will admit that is definitely a, you know, a common trait amongst millennials. And, um, we're reluctant to jump directly into marriage as you were stating, just, you know, starting families and everything like that. We take it into consideration. I think we place a higher value on it than maybe the generation before us. Yeah, I think that and that those are all, I think, really significant factors that do play into the declining divorce rate, the declining marriage rate. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that I think many people of your generation may not ever get married. Now, it doesn't mean they won't have relationships and significant long term relationships, but marriage may not play into it. Right. I agree. One thing that I I read in another study that um, or an article, um, actually, my cousin wrote it. She's she does um, HR work and Mm -hmm. it she was talking about attracting millennials to companies. And one thing I thought was really significant about millennials is they are also very motivated or the article said that they were. You tell me um, about because they were looking for companies that were community-minded, that gave back. And I know you have a passion project that you've worked on um, with Congress, in fact. Um, but, you know, that seems to be something I think that is very motivational in your generation as well, having that passion project, giving back. What do you What do you think about that? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I have um, two projects. I have the Pro Bono Committee I represent a lot of people in my community pro bono that you know just can't afford legal services. I feel like that's a way I can give back. And then also, as you mentioned, my work with United States Congress on um, further protecting the endangered species that are native to our island, which is the Florida key deer. So yeah, I do see that common trend amongst um, millennials, always looking to give back to the community, whether it be through donating or a drive or you know anything like that, just to to give back. Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting thing because that motivation, um, and, and driver to give back has somewhat shifted the focus of this generation, I think from wealth building to existing in a society at large and, and, you know, that giving back, um, Maybe I would say the generation I grew up in, and I'm not even sure what the name of my generation might be, or the earlier ones, you know, amassing wealth and um, success on that level did seem to have a great deal to do with um, the generation drivers. So there were often financial factors that brought couples together. Um, And maybe that's one of the things that's also that that lack of focus on Mm -hmm amassing wealth or financial success may also be something that is, is, you know, relative to the relationship status of your generation. Right. It goes back to placing that, um, value on family centric, really having that work-life balance. It's more important than accumulating wealth, you know, spending quality time with your family, um, even with yourself, you know, penciling in time to go to the gym in the morning, um, things like that, you know, all of that's very important and um, it's not easy, but I think it's doable. And I think our generation has proved that it's doable even in some of the largest companies. A lot of them, these Fortune 500 companies have changed drastically over the years to accommodate millennials. You know, they've got gyms in the workplace. 
they've got childcare in the workplace. They're just so much more accommodating because they see that, you know, we're really running the workforces. We're the, we're the people that are the future. So they have to accommodate in some sense. Well, in fact, all our institutions do, including marriage and divorce, right? Because your generation is the up and coming, um, you're right, workforce of, of our our future. Um, you know, one thing I thought when I was looking at the stats as well is, you know, the fact that, um, men, that it said many millennials are actually afraid of divorce. And that's one of the things that maybe deters them. And I wondered if the rise of divorce rates in their parents' generation, so that more millennials have now seen families go through divorce as a part of their childhood, do you think that has played into your generation's, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I do. I think that the prior generation, our parents, most of us have lived through their divorces. We've seen the high divorce rates. We've learned from it. We're, we're somewhat jaded. We don't want that for ourselves. Um, so we are waiting longer to get married. But I also think prioritizing achievements and educations and, you know, trying to get through that almost like your, your 20s, you're focused on graduating and then landing that dream job, building up your resume, achieving all of your personal goals. And then you're like, okay, I'm in a place now where I can think about and consider marriage. And by that time, you've been sometimes in a relationship for quite a few years. And I think it's helpful in a sense because it lays a good foundation for your relationship because you waited a little bit longer. Um, you know, I know my husband and I have been together since high school, so we've kind of, you know, grown up together. So that in a sense too, you know, we've been through this whole trajectory of education, like I said, building a resume and then starting a family or getting married and then starting a family. So I think that helps. You really get to know someone over a longer period of time while you're achieving your personal goals. Yeah, well, and, you know, so you've mentioned education there. And I was, you know, another thing that struck me is your generation is buried in educational debt. Yes. Um, and that you're the first generation that ha is facing that as well, right? You know, the cost of a quality education and the competition to get that has become extraordinarily difficult and extraordinarily expensive, leading to extraordinary student debt. Um, and I've wondered if that plays into the marital situation for your generation. Oh, I think so for sure. I mean, I can, I don't even know that I have, that I can count on maybe one hand how many friends don't, that have been through, you know, college education that don't have debt, that didn't graduate with the, an amount of debt, especially law students, my colleagues from law school. I mean, we've got astronomical student loan debt out there and, I do think that plays heavily on both parties before they enter a marriage. You know, what am I bringing to the table? You know, you're bringing this debt. And so you just feel like this overwhelming um, desire to have to pay it off, not enter a marriage with so much debt and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think that could deter marriage as well for millennials. Well, and, and just the fact that a, a wedding itself costs a lot of money. Right. Um, and if you're facing, you know, I think a, a law school education is in the range of well over $100,000 these days for, for sure. the three years of law school. So if you are funding that through student loans and you have college debt, you could have a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt as you're starting at 25 
out in the world-ish, 25-ish, depending on when you went to law school, Mm -hmm. Um, or even undergrad. You know, I I, um, have a nephew who attended a fantastic university, but ended up graduating undergrad with like $150,000 in debt. Um, You know, so top tier level education is expensive. Um, you, You know, so how does that as, as couples are entering into the concept of combining their households, um, they're, they're also facing that concept of bringing this huge debt into the marriage and, and debt and carrying debt, right? It costs money to service debt every month. Yes. So your generation has that, that just negative start right to begin of probably hundreds, if not a thousands of dollars a month in a debt payment that's going to go on for a significant period of time. Yeah, I think it just causes a lot of pressure on certain relationships. I mean, you know, you think about how am I going to qualify for a mortgage? How are we going to buy a home? How are we going to afford children when we've got, especially if you're marrying somebody who also has equal debt or even something you know, relatively close to what you're bringing in for your debt. So yes, it's a huge factor. And, you know, some people are fortunate to have a workaround and some, some extra support from their family, but I know that's not the case for everybody. And I can only imagine it's, it's a lot of pressure coming into a marriage or any relationship, even if it's not going to result in marriage with, with all of this debt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a significant, it has to be a significant factor. And, you know, the other thing that, that I thought may factor in is, you know, older generations were still fairly traditional in the career path of men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, And women still tended to be in either stay at home or um, career paths that were less uh, focused perhaps on success because Mm -hmm. women were bifurcating in the taking care of the family and home and pursuing career. Whereas in your generation, do you think that's as true? No, I, I actually read a study from 2018 that millennial women are more educated than men. Um, which I'm really proud to say, because that's not always been the case. We've not always been provided that opportunity, But yeah, um, actually the study said it was 43% women compared to 38% men who graduated with a four-year degree in our generation. So I think that has made women more financially independent, independent overall, um, less likely to get married for financial reasons. And, you know, they can buy their home on their own. They can finance their life. They can get a car. So those things aren't at the forefront. They have more time to focus on themselves and take time to focus on a relationship before just diving into a marriage, just because that's what you have to do in order to survive. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think the whole paradigm has shifted there. It, right? Yes, for sure. You know, and that actually leads to another significant factor that I think is relevant um, in your generation and just something that I have seen in the legal practice is the rise of the prenuptial agreement, even in first marriages. It used to be sort of the thing like when you were getting married in your second marriage and or you had significant wealth, um, you would see prenups. But now... Um, they're, they're really, uh, on the rise. Uh, and I think it may have something to do with what we were just talking about. Yeah. So this is actually one of the big changes. Like we talked about in the beginning that I've seen, even since I started practicing law, when I first started practicing, I would see, like you just said, a lot of 
uber wealthy people that are like one party is super wealthy and they say, we, I really need a prenuptial agreement or I'm not getting married, that type of thing. But now I see a, a huge shift where I get phone calls for one party looking for a prenuptial agreement, but the other party wants it equally as well. You know, they want to protect all of their hard work and their interests and their assets as much as the other party does. So that is a huge change. And I think um, it almost makes it easier when you've got two parties that both want to do that. They both want to enter into this agreement to protect themselves. And it just, it somewhat flows better because it's kind of an uncomfortable, you know, process before you get married. You're like, okay, we're talking about what will happen in the event of a divorce or setting ourselves up for failure, so to speak. But um, yeah, I've noticed that huge change definitely in the practice of family law. Taking a quick break here to announce my new webinar training for family mediators. I get so many questions about how I have set up my family mediation practice that I decided to turn it into a training. So I have a brand new webinar that's going to go over all you need to know to actually set up your practice to move your mediations along. We're going toward efficiency, client satisfaction, how to use technology in troubleshooting. We're going to talk about establishing processes and procedures, how to have effective consultations, how to be efficient in the fact and data gathering, document preparation, how to establish your fees, how to streamline the process with an agenda, and so much more. And of course, I'm going to have some tips for online family law mediations as well. So if you're interested, go to learntomediateonline.com and find out more and register. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Yanae Barroso, on the changing face of coupling and uncoupling through the eyes of a millennial divorce attorney. Infidelity, um, trust issues because of social media. I mean, that's a major part of our life these days. There's constant comparison to other other people, other relationships. Um, you know, this person's traveling more than us. Why can't we travel? Why can't we afford this? It's like the grass is greener on the other side concept. It's just constant in your face, you know, always there. You're always seeing it, always browsing every day. And it, and it eats away at some people. And some of these relationships just can't survive that. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Getting Through the Tough Times by Stepping Into Your Authenticity with guest Pamela Savino. I so firmly felt that I was stepping into my authentic reality for the first time in years. And I navigate my reality through energy. I navigate my reality spiritually. And I go in the direction life is taking me. I flow with it. And I do what feels right in the moment. So I knew that despite the way that this, um, the sequence of events, I was in the middle of a divorce, I knew that I was being led in the right direction. And now we return to today's show. I have done far more prenuptial agreements in the later years of my, you know, 30 years than earlier on. Earlier on, it was almost always that situation where we had one uber wealthy party or one party with significant wealth and mm -hmm. they were marrying someone, you know, that that did not have that same level. Um, but I, the other thing I've seen the rise of, and I wonder if you have as well, is cohabitation agreements or co-ownership agreements when a uh, 
couple who's not married, but they purchase a home together um, or get a dog together. I just did one of those agreements not that really? long ago because, you know, laws are changing around pet ownership, but they still in many states are treated like a piece of furniture. Um, and this couple wanted to make sure it was clear what happened if they broke up. Are you right. seeing more of that type of agreement as well? I have, I have seen a couple of those. I don't draft them personally. I, I outsource them to more of like a real estate attorney, but I do get the phone calls, the exact same thing. We're not married. We have no intention of being married, but we want to purchase a home together. And we want to talk about what would happen in the event that we break up that type of thing. So yes, I've definitely seen that. Go. Well, I actually think it's smart because I've also seen the situation where they don't have an agreement. They do break up. And now what do you do? Right. And they both yeah. want the home. You can't split it in half, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little hard to cut it, it down the middle <laughs> or put the tape down the center, the duct tape. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the things in, in stewing my, my research is, uh, and, and many people, you know, you, you see this statistic all over the place, that the overall divorce rate is declining. I talked about that. It's down like 24%. But it doesn't mean that there are less divorces per the number of marriages. That rate actually for first marriages has held pretty steady at 50%. It's almost like one in two um, first marriages are, are going to, one one is going to make it and one is going to end in divorce. I like to focus on the, on the positive. Mm -hmm. um, but what are the issues particular to millennial divorces um, when your generation is part of that 50%? Because now they've very likely waited longer to get married. They are more likely to have a prenup. But what are the, the issues they're going to face? I think the two that are at the forefront are financial issues. As we discussed, you've got tremendous debt on both sides most of the time, um, a high cost of living. And the other is infidelity, um, trust issues because of social media. I mean, that's a major part of our life these days. There's constant comparison to other other people, other relationships. Um, you know, this person's traveling more than us. Why can't we travel? Why can't we afford this? It's like the grass is greener on the other side concept. It's just constant in your face, you know, always there. You're always seeing it, always browsing every day. And it, and it eats away at some people. And some of these relationships just can't survive that. It causes tremendous trust issues and um, insecurity. That's actually fascinating, right? That your yeah. that, that your generation is so impacted with the rise of social media. You are definitely the first generation to experience that, right? Social media did not exist in in the fashion that it does today. Um, right. th when when I was at your age or younger or getting married for the first time, um, and so I, I hadn't ever even thought about that. That constant comparison to the perfection that we all portray our lives to be exactly. on social media. Wow. I and mean, you know, you see these lavish weddings, you, you're following all these bloggers and they've got the perfect ring, the perfect wedding destination, the perfect family, because of, of course they're only posting the perfect picture every time they're not showing, you know, all the negative things, but yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And I think it definitely impacts um, millennial relationships. 
Oh, I, now that you say it, I can't imagine it doesn't, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting because I, you know, didn't start spending any time on social media really until the past couple of years. Once I started having podcasts, because it's a wonderful way to reach listeners and interact with my listeners because, Mm -hmm. you know, people want to reach out. Um, but I have noticed just what in, what a role it plays in in even relationships, like they talk about a relationship just when, um, oh God, what is the phrase? Like Insta, uh, where they show up, like a celebrity couple shows up on the red carpet and they get an Instagram post for the very first time. So it's now Insta official. Insta official, right. Yeah, right. Like, like until you show up on Instagram holding each other's hands, you don't exist as a it couple. didn't mean anything before then, exactly. Yeah. yeah and, and that's where people are announcing their divorces as well. Yep. You know, it's not done like they used to call people, I think, and put it out in People magazine. Now everybody puts out a joint Instagram statement saying we love each other still and we've made the loving decision to part respectfully. Exactly. And we hope, yeah. you know, so that is that is really interesting. And I think, uh, you know, in thinking about that and sort of taking it a little further, Technology, you mentioned it in the beginning, the the advances of technology and the way that technology, I mean, especially in the last few months, right, of our lives, but really significantly throughout your lifetime, has become such an important day-to-day, minute-to-minute impact in our lives. That has to interplay into millennial relationships as well. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good point. I mean, now the iPhone, anybody that has an iPhone, I'm sure other phones do it as well, but it, you know, it tracks the time that you've spent on social media. And sometimes even for myself, it's staggering. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have really spent this much time of my week on social media. But yeah, that plays into it as well. That can make another um, spouse or another party in the, in the relationship feel like, you know, you're placing that above the relationship, that that's more important. But sometimes it's tied, I know for me, it's tied to work. A lot of it is. I I run my own social media accounts for my firm. And so sometimes it really is work-related. I'm not just hanging out texting friends. I'm I'm working from my phone. But I can definitely see how that can trigger some issues within a relationship. Well, and even, so say it's not social media, say, because I happen to run all my businesses through my phone for the most Mm -hmm. part too, but I can tell you, my husband can get a little irritated when at eight o'clock at night, I'm answering emails or making a change on my website because I have a webinar coming up um, and I'm working, I'm legitimately working. I'm not scrolling through, you know, LinkedIn or something like that. But do you think that just the, constant access to our work life through our mobile devices now also puts a strain on relationships. Yes, there's no there's no off button. I mean, there isn't. You can turn off your notifications, but you know, you're going to get it, especially in family law where a lot of times you have to be so accessible, you know, to your clients. Yeah. Sometimes it's like being an on-call doctor. I mean, I know the comparison sounds strange, but it's true. People are going through families in particular, some of the hardest times of their lives. And sometimes at nine o'clock at night, they need you because there's an emergency and they don't know how to deal with it. And it could impact their case and their family and you have to be available. So it's tough. It's definitely tough. It's um, hard to find a balance. 
I mean, I think it is. And I think that may for both, you know, parties in a, in a marriage when it's, you know, const- now that we've, we almost are working 24 seven or need to be available 24 seven technology's kind of been a, a negative in that way. But there are other areas where I think technology is moving, you know, relationships and, and definitely the, the positive process of divorce forward. Um, you know, there's now for thing divorces that are going on now, there's services like it's over easy from Laura Wasser and hello divorce from Aaron Levine. Um, and your generation being so tech savvy seems to be more willing to, turn to technology to help them move through the process. Um, Do you think that's helpful? I do. I I, I almost think they prefer it. I think millennials prefer to utilize as much technology as possible. I know I have a lot of clients that are in the millennial generation that would rather just text me than pick up the phone and make a quick call. They just, you know, want to text it. Um, You know, a part of it is multitasking, um, but I, like you said, I think there's a lot of positives to it. I mean, we've got now, just recently due to COVID-19, we've got a lot of this mediation going on online more than ever. It's always been available, but people are now having to experience it and seeing, okay, wow, this is really good. You know, this is a great resource and tool. Another one is, you know, virtual therapy. There's a lot of apps where you can have therapy while you're commuting to work. Or, you know, doing something else. It's like multitasking it back to that again. Um, let's see. I think another great one would be um, the parenting apps, the co-parenting apps. A lot yeah. of my clients are very eager to communicate through that. It's instant gratification. You can immediately share with the other party expenses, schedules, you know, things like that. It just makes it so much easier. So, yeah, I think it's been really helpful. Well, and those are those co-parenting apps are nice because they put a little layer of technology between sometimes difficult conversations between co-parents as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of of co-parenting apps as well. Um, so, you know, overall, that's a lot of the 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 differences and, and how millennials have been impacted by, you know, what what's happening in your world and with respect to relationships, marriage, divorce. But if you were going to give some top tips to millennials who were going through divorce, what would your what would your top level tips be? I would say first to delete social media while you're going through the process. Um, I've seen it hurt more than help. Oh, yeah. um, I know I know we want to post everything. I know we want to share our lives. We want to share an inspirational quote, especially when you're going through a tough time. But I think removing yourself from a social media presence during this process is extremely beneficial on, uh, like across the board, you know, into parenting, into your finances, into business, it really affects everything. So I, I think that'd be number one. Secondly, you know, utilize a lot of these apps that make our life easier. Um, back to the virtual therapy. I'm a big fan of that. I, I think that's just so accessible, especially if you're busy and now you are not having the other spouse around to kind of help out, whether at home with the kids or just around the house. And you don't have as much time to maybe attend an in-person live therapy session. You can get that benefit just through your phone. It could be while you're cooking or you know driving. And the other thing would be 
use your technological savvy capabilities to um, help your lawyer organize all of your financial documents. That's going to save you so much time and money on attorney's fees. You know, just being able to pull that stuff from the internet and send it by email and organize it and things like that. It will really move the case forward and, and help. Yeah, I, I, that that last one, I can't emphasize enough to people just mm-hmm. going. I remember back in the day when I would have clients like walk in with a box of like receipts and bills and pay stubs and sort of dump it on my desk. Yeah. <laughs> and at hundreds of dollars an hour, people, that's not a very good use of your money. Right. Um, even exactly. if it's my paralegal doing it, it's it's very expensive. Exactly. Yeah, I tell all my clients that I'm like, to the extent you can go get everything online and send it to me electronically, you are saving hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in some of these cases. So, oh, yeah, I actually have started using in my mediation practice with clients something called Detour Life, where they can actually just hook up all their financial accounts um, uh, confidentially to the program and it will upload all the statements, all of the numbers, it constantly will update them. So if we choose a date, say we're going to value the marital estate as of January 1, 2020, Mm -hmm. we can just put in that date, it will pull up the value of every account as of that date, and it's done. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, there's so much technology out there, right? That And it's constantly coming down the pike. But your generation is open minded and early adopters, which I think helps them. Absolutely. They're always willing to take the technological route for sure. And yeah. it's just more practical these, this day and age. Well, that's and, and you do have a free gift for our listeners that's kind of along the lines of these uh, top tips. Um, you have your top five tips for millennial divorcees. What's the best way for them to get that for listeners to get a hold of that? So to access the podcast giveaway, I'm going to provide the link to Susan and then she can share that with every all the listeners in the show notes. Perfect. So I'll have that in the show notes along with your contact information. But just so everyone who's listening has that, how can people get in touch with you? You can access my website, www.baroso-law.com which will also be provided in the show notes for spelling. I know it's not an easy one to spell. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you can access me there and um, contact me on Instagram at Barroso Law. I also have a LinkedIn page, same thing, Barroso Law and Facebook. Wonderful. Well, that all will be in the show notes. And I I really appreciate this unique perspective, not unique, but unique to me, to many of my listeners. Um, And, you know, I, I appreciate the way that your generation's unique experiences in the world we live in today are what are making, I think, positive changes on relationships and on um, divorce itself. And I appreciate your sharing that with us all. Yeah, I appreciate you having me and highlighting that information because I feel like, you know, millennials can get a little bit of a bad name um, due to some of our characteristics, especially from the more seasoned generations above us. But yes, it's been so much fun talking about this topic. Um, It's one I really enjoy talking about. So thanks for having me. Wonderful. Well, thank you. 
Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com, where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.